Welcome to Sure Foundation Lutheran Church's podcast channel. If you'd like more content like this, visit us on our website at www.surechurch.com. The following sermon was preached on February 14th, 2021, on the basis of Mark chapter 9, verses 2 to 9. The glory of God is yours, through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning we're going to hear the story of three mountains. All of them are significant, and all of them have a connection. The first mountain is Moses' mountain. No, Moses did not own a mountain, but he had some, some pretty amazing experiences on this mountain. You know it as Mount Sinai, located on the very southern tip of the Sinai Peninsula, just southeast of Egypt. There is not actually that much significant about Mount Sinai. It was a mountain just like any other mountain, in fact, a rather unimpressive mountain by our our standards of beauty. But amazing things happened on this mountain. The first amazing thing happened after Moses fled from Egypt to Midian. If you recall the story of Moses a little bit, he he was born in Egypt, he was raised in an Egyptian household, but then he he killed an Egyptian man in defense of a Hebrew man that this Egyptian man was, was beating up. Pharaoh heard about this and was after Moses, and so Moses fled out of fear for his life. He fled to Midian. He settled into life in Midian. He married his wife, Zipporah. He worked for his father-in-law, Jethro. And that's when this first amazing thing happened. He was out tending his father-in-law's flocks, and they were right by Mount Sinai. Midian and Sinai were close together. In the distance, Moses sees a burning bush. And he approaches because it's not often that you see something on fire out in the desert there. And so as he approaches, he realizes something amazing is happening here because this bush is burning But it's not burning up. It just continues to burn. And before Moses knows it, and as he gets closer, Jesus speaks to Moses through the burning bush. He calls Moses to be his servant, to be his worker that would lead the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. And we see that God accomplishes that through Moses. Moses had a conversation with God. This was a pretty amazing thing. And that wasn't even the last amazing thing to happen on Mount Sinai. So, so some time passes. Moses goes back to Egypt. The ten plagues happen. God, with, with, under the direction of Moses, leads the people out of Egypt into the wilderness. They cross the, the Red Sea on, on dry ground. God gives them a great victory over the Egyptians. And now they're, they're wandering in the desert. The desert that that is remarkably close to Mount Sinai. In fact, they end up camping on the foot of Mount Sinai. And several times, Moses goes up onto Mount Sinai, and he gets a conversation with God. This is a pretty awesome thing. He he receives the Ten Commandments from God on Mount Sinai. He receives the covenant law on Mount Sinai, written on two tablets of stone. In fact, he receives it twice because he breaks the one of them, right? He's mad about the golden calf. Moses had multiple opportunities to converse with God on top of a mountain, this amazing mountaintop experience. That's mountain number one. 
Mountain number two. Jackson, you want to put it the next one? Thank you. Mountain number two is Elijah's mountain. No, Elijah did not own this mountain, just like Moses didn't own his. And, and actually, Elijah's mountain is the exact same mountain as Moses' mountain. When you read through Scripture, in Moses' section in Exodus, they call it Mount Sinai. In Elijah's section, the end of 1 Kings and, and into 2 Kings, this is called Mount Horeb. It's one in the same mountain. Here's Elijah's story. So Elijah just got off one of the greatest victories in Elijah's life by, by the Lord. He's on top of Mount Carmel, facing off against the, the prophets of Baal. It was the true prophet of the true God versus the false prophets of the false god, Baal. And in triumphal fashion, God solidly defeats the prophets of Baal. They are all killed, but now Queen Jezebel, wicked Queen Jezebel, is after Elijah. She wants to, to kill him, so he flees and he ends up down in Mount Horeb, and God finds him there. In that section of Scripture, it describes it this way, that God did not come to, to Elijah in the wind, or in an earthquake, or in a fire, but God came to Elijah in a whisper. And he had a conversation with God on top of Mount Horeb, this amazing mountaintop experience that Elijah got that, that few others have gotten to experience. That's mountain number two. Mountain number three is the Mount of Transfiguration, which also happens to be our gospel lesson for today. Let's read our gospel lesson from, from Mark chapter 9, verses 2 to 9. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led him up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before him, his clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. This is God's word. Jesus had just finished a very difficult conversation with the disciples. It said at the beginning there, six days later. So, so six days prior, this conversation takes place. Jesus talks with the disciples and he says this, the Son of Man must suffer many things. He must be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. He must be killed and then rise again. He predicted his death, right? He follows that difficult conversation with another one. This one was directed to the disciples, to followers of Jesus. It's directed to us today. He says, anyone who desi desires to be my disciple must deny themselves and then pick up their cross and follow me. He was telling the disciples, as he's telling us, that the life as a Christian is not always going to be super easy, that we're all going to have crosses to bear in this life. 
So if you were one of the disciples at this point in Jesus' ministry, you've seen a few things, you've heard a few things. You've seen him do some awesome things that, that no one else can do. You've heard him speak in, a, in such a dynamic fashion. He, he obviously speaks with, with authority and with power. You, you've seen tiny glimpses of his glory. But by and large, Jesus still seems like a fairly ordinary guy. Most of the time, in fact, probably 95% of the time, he just seems like an ordinary guy. His glory seemed to be hidden from the view of the disciples. It wasn't perhaps exactly what the disciples expected when they thought of following God. But that was all okay. That was all okay. It was all okay to have the status quo. They had kind of gotten used to how this was, was going to go. But the disciples were, were heading into a difficult time in, in their lives. They didn't know it yet, but, but it was coming. Do you think it might have been a little bit more difficult for the disciples to believe that Jesus was God in the near future? Do you think that, that it might have been hard for them to believe that Jesus was God as, as Jesus turned himself over in the Garden of Gethsemane. Didn't fight back. He, he just handed himself over there. Do you think doubt might have arose in the disciples' minds as they saw him on trial and all these people came and told lies about him, but, but Jesus didn't say anything. He kept silent. Do you think they began to, to question Jesus' divinity as they saw him brutally beat and nailed to a cross, and, and he didn't seem to fight back. The disciples were coming up on extremely trying times in their life, times where Satan would intensely tempt them and their sinful nature would be, would be weak. Jesus knew that. He knew the state of the disciples' faith. He knows the state of your faith. He knew when the disciples were strong in their faith. He knew when they were weak in their faith. He knew their hearts. And he knew what was coming up for them. He knew that there were trying times laying ahead as Jesus entered his, his passion. And he knew that they needed to be strengthened. And so Jesus led Peter, James, and John up this Mount of Transfiguration. They get up to the top of the mountain and Jesus is transfigured before them. What exactly that looked like is kind of hard for humans to describe. We heard, we heard Mark describe it as whiter than any man could bleach his clothes. It was so bright. We can say at least that, right? That Jesus was transfigured and it was so bright that, that the disciples were terrified. They probably had to, to shield their eyes. But the point was... The glory that was once hidden in Jesus was now released. The disciples now saw Jesus in his full glorious splendor before them. You know, when they used to think that he was just this ordinary guy, and, that, and you can understand why they'd think that, because he looked just like them. They used to think that, but now they were rid of all of those notions because they saw Jesus in his full glory before them. This was an amazing Thing, an amazing experience for the disciples. Those are the three mountains. And as we trace those three mountains and what happened on those three mountains, those amazing mountaintop experiences, 
it's okay if we have this, this understandable yearning. <laughs> Where is my mountaintop experience? Right? Why, why can't I have something like this? Imagine what it would be like to see Jesus in all of his splendor. It would be amazing. Imagine the perspective that would give you in life if you had that image to hold on to. That image to hold on to through the ups and the downs of life because we have our fair share of ups and downs, don't we? We have amazing moments in our life. Moments that we, we cherish, they're, they're so precious to us, they're, they're filled with such joy. We want to stay there forever, that, that's kind of our mountaintop experience, right? P- Peter wanted to stay there, right? <laughs> he, he wanted to camp out on that mountain. I'm going to put up a tent for, for Jesus, for Moses, and for Elijah. I'll sleep on the rocks, I don't care. I just want to stay on this mountain forever, if not just a little bit longer. When you're going through those moments of joy in your life, those precious moments that you cherish so much, don't you want to do the same thing? You want to set up a a tent and you don't even care where where you sleep, you just want to stay there forever, if not just a little bit longer. Because you know what's waiting for you when you come down from the mountain. Because when you come down from the mountain, there's some pretty deep valleys, some real lows where you feel like you're miles and miles away from that mountain, deep emotional lows, deep physical lows. And in these deep valleys, it's hard to see that Jesus is, is God, that he's divine. It's hard to see the, the glory of Jesus. And we're tempted to think maybe he isn't God. How could he be God in this chaotic world? Is he really Is he really presiding over this chaotic world? Is he really with me? Why can't I see his his glory? The disciples wanted to stay on the mountain. We want to stay on the mountain. What about Jesus? You know, if anybody should have wanted to stay on the mountain, it should have been Jesus, right? Because Jesus knew what lay ahead for him as he came down from the mountain. Because as Jesus came down from the mountain, descended that mountain peak, he set his eyes towards Jerusalem. He set his eyes toward the sacrifice that he was about to to make. He set his eyes toward the work that he was about to accomplish. If anybody should have wanted to stay on that mountain, it, it should have been Jesus. But here's the thing about Jesus. His greatest glory was not standing between Moses and Elijah. Moses, who represented the law of the Old Testament. Elijah, who represented the prophets of the Old Testament. And Jesus, who was the fulfillment of both of those things. Jesus' greatest glory was not in that vision of him with Moses and Elijah. But his greatest glory was saving you. His greatest glory happened when he came down from that mountain as he gave himself over in the Garden of Gethsemane. His greatest glory was remaining silent as people uh, hurled false accusations against him in court, and he didn't say a thing. His greatest glory was being beaten and nailed to a cross where he, he spilled his blood. His greatest glory was saving you, and so he had to come down from that mountain. 
We're about to enter into the, the season of Lent. This is the last Sunday in Epiphany, and we're entering into Lent. And Lent is a, a unique season in the church year because it, it always seems to have an accompanying mood with it, right? Lent is a season that is solemn and it's somber. It's somber not because we're mourning over Jesus. It's somber because we're recognizing what our sins did to Jesus, our sins caused Jesus suffering. Our sins made it necessary for Jesus to go to the cross for us. But the mood of Lent is, is also of solemn appreciation. Solemn appreciation that Jesus was willing to do that for us. Solemn appreciation that, that Jesus' greatest glory was, was coming down from the mountain and going to the cross for us. It was an amazing gift that Jesus gave the disciples to see, see him in all of his glorious splendor. And it strengthened them for, for the events to come. When they saw Jesus being handed over, when they saw Jesus being falsely accused, when they saw him being beaten, they had this vision of his glory. They had that image in their brain to, to strengthen them and to trust that this indeed was God. And they would see him again in his glorious splendor after he rose from the dead. It's understandable if during this season of Lent, as we feel the weight of our, our sins, we want our own mountaintop experience to strengthen us. So let me give you two. This last week in 7th uh, and 8th grade catechism, we were talking about the, the liturgy a little bit. You might know what the liturgy is, you might have heard the word and maybe don't quite remember what it means that the liturgy is the, the pattern of worship that we use. So, so you, you come to worship, and, and we have some of the same features in our worship service. We follow an order. It's an orderly service. It's a good thing. Some, some things change from week to week. We sing different hymns, different songs. Uh, we have different scripture readings. Some things remain the same each week, and that's on purpose. It, it's good to have repetition because it, it implants truths very deep in, in Christian hearts. We remember these things. We soak these things in. Even when we're old and gray, we still remember these truths. It is said that, that in the liturgy, there are two mountains. The first mountain is the, the sermon. And we, we begin our ascent to that mountain with, by singing hymns, by having a, a confession, absolution, by, by having the word read from the Old Testament and from the epistle today, those were our readings, as we made our ascent up the mountain. And then the sermon is the first mountaintop. Because it's by prayer that in the sermon, you are strengthened. Just like the disciples were strengthened on that mount of transfiguration by seeing Jesus' glory, you are strengthened in the sermon by hearing the law that convicts your heart, it cuts you, and the gospel that heals you, that gives you hope. It gives you strength so that as you walk out of the doors here, you are set to go about your week, strengthened for the week to come, for anything that life might throw at you. That's the first mountain. We quickly make our descent down that mountain, but only to go back up again. Because in the part of the service where we say, the Lord be with you, we are beginning our ascent back up the mountain back up to the second mountain of the Lord's Supper. And on our way up that mountain, we hear the song of the angels, Holy, holy, holy 
That's the song that we heard in Isaiah chapter 6 and again in Revelation. It's as if we're getting a picture into the song of heaven here, the song the angels sang. And that song indicates that something special is about to happen. This is a part where heaven and earth are about to, to intersect here. This is a glorious thing. Because you're going to take Jesus' body and Jesus' blood for the forgiveness of sins and for the strengthening of your faith. Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled by the hidden glory of the word and the sacraments. They seem ordinary. Just like Jesus seemed ordinary to the disciples. But hidden in, these, in this word and in the sacrament is incredible power and incredible glory, both meant for your strengthening. It's a normal thing to, to covet the, the mountaintop experiences of, of Moses and Elijah and the disciples. You'd be crazy if you didn't covet those mountaintop experiences. But don't look past your own. Cherish the times that, that you get to climb the mountain and hear the word and the sacraments. Because in this word, you are strengthened. In this sacrament, you are strengthened. In the word, you hear about a Savior whose greatest glory wasn't between Moses and Elijah, but his greatest glory was dying for you. Amen.